Well, welcome, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Um, it's really a privilege to uh, have this opportunity to see so many guys uh, come together on, on this all important topic of manhood and leadership. Um, and so, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time out of your Saturday. I guess you had the option of working in the yard in 108 degrees or being here. So I guess this is the may have been the best choice. Um, and so, thanks for being here. Um, <clears throat> I want to go through your books with you. In the book, if you page one is the agenda, and so um, we are going to um, we're going to be hitting about hour intervals. We have built in plenty of time for speakers. Um, <clears throat> the conference technically goes to five o'clock. We think we'll be done by three thirty. Uh, but we want this time uh, to not be wasted. We don't want guys coming here and leaving here with questions, um, concerns. We, we want to be able to interact. <clears throat> so you'll see the agenda in front of you, and we encourage you to interact with the speakers. This is not you know, guys coming up and just speaking and they're being silenced. You raise your hand if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have uh, objections. Um, please... Please speak to us. Please interact with us. Um, at the end, at, from 3.30 or whenever we finish, that, that leftover time is built in. We're going to ask guys, does anyone want to stick around? Is there anything you want to talk about regarding what we heard today in, in greater depth or greater detail? That is um, an option. It's built in. So if you guys want it and, and you, anyone wants to take advantage of that, we'll uh, be here for that. Um, also, this is going to be recorded. So... If anyone has a problem with that, just let me know. But otherwise, um, there's a lot of guys who did want to be here who are traveling who asked if they could somehow get a copy of what was talked about, so we are going to record it. Um, the last thing I'll say is that um, there's going to be probably an overload of material in a very short time. It's going to be like a, a fire hose. And some of this stuff may be review for guys who are here. This is stuff that you're already thinking about and working through, dealing with. For some of you guys, you may never have heard, you may never have heard any of this before. You, you may seriously look at me to start off and go, oh my gosh, is it going to be like this for the whole day? Uh, there just may be things that you haven't heard. And the, the, the point of the matter here is that we want to uh, share with you the things that God has laid on our hearts and what he has taught us through the scriptures. And so one thing that I hope to do throughout the day is that you will see is that everything that is um, presented to you today is biblical. We'll have a biblical background and biblical basis for what we say. So, could I get a cup of water and some? Could someone give me a? Thank you. <clears throat> so, why are we here today? First off, as our time together is, it's not by accident. It's providential. Um, you were invited because whoever invited you cares about you. They love you, and uh, thank you, Jerry. And and wanted you to to hear on this topic. Um, you may have shown up here for a number of reasons. Um, you may have been dragged here. You may have been coerced. Uh, you may have had a guy just nitpicking you to death and go, dude, you need to come here. Dude, you need to come here. You, you just got to come. You got to come. Um, or you may, have, you may have heard the topic and go, I'm wrestling with this right now. I want to I go spend some time on this. Guys, I was a guy who got dragged to one of these conferences. And all I'm going to tell you is if that's you today, you are not here by accident. I thought I was at, a, at conferences by accident, and God changed my life through a conference just like this. Just 
I'd, I'd probably be divorced right now. Uh, my five, well, I'd, at that time would be two kids. I'd have two kids without a dad, and uh, uh, I'd be a mess if God didn't intervene when he did. And it came through a conference just like this. So just come here with open ears. Like I said in the email, leave pride at home. Be willing to be teachable and just listen and uh, hopefully absorb what you hear today. Um, this conference was kind of came about because of this issue of biblical manhood that I've been wrestling with for years. Um, it's been on my heart since I started having kids, since I came to Christ. Always trying to figure out how I can be who God wants me to be. Recognizing my failures every day in the process. And over this past year, I last year I coached a year of uh, varsity football at Push Ridge. And I had an opportunity to work with some of the young guys here today and their families. And uh, God ordained a, a great opportunity to get start meeting with anywhere from 12 to 15 kids. And then towards the end of the season on a regular basis, about 6 to 8 guys on a regular basis. And I guess... All the arrows that are flying at me are just simply the fact that, as a as a people, we are unprepared. We just, as men, we don't know what we're doing. As teenagers, we don't know what we're doing. We're unprepared. That's what I get from men. That's what I see in my own life. It's what I get from all these young guys who are raised in Christian homes, Christian churches, Christian schools, Christian youth groups, Christian camps. We're still without a compass, it seems. And so... Um, that scared me. The stuff that I've seen cumulatively over these last few years, is it scares me. And, uh, and so I want to share with you guys, really, in this introduction, my own mailbox, the things I've challenged myself with, the things that I've been wrestling with. Uh, if I say you, I'm not intentionally uh, saying I'm better than you, I've got it figured out. No, I'm saying if I ask you a question, it's because I want you to contemplate uh, those things that I've been contemplating. Um, so... Who are we? Well, let me tell you who we're not. Okay, We're not an organization. Uh, we're not trying to build one. There's no employees. We're not asking for your money, time, or influence. There's nothing here to join. Um, we're not here to tell you what to believe, although we are going to challenge your thinking uh, through the scriptures today. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to decide whether or not what you heard was true. And that's your God-given right. He's given you a free will. And you get to choose... Um, how you live your life, and what you believe. We want to challenge that with you here today. Who are we? We are a network of ordinary men, businessmen, dads, fathers, husbands, coaches, whatever else that we do out there, um, who have one common goal, which is to help men that we come across grow in a deeper relationship with, their, in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, to help them uh, become the men God wants them to be. And we do that... One of our favorite verses um, is 2 Timothy 2.2, which says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the idea here, guys, is this, is that as we grow in the knowledge of God and God changes our life, as we learn from wiser men who have gone before us and through our own time and study and prayer, we take that which God gives us and we go give it away to somebody else who doesn't have it. We seek to help another man grow closer in his relationship with Christ and be the man God calls him to be. And guys, it's a network, and that's what it is. It's how it's always been. That's how the gospel came from <laughs> Jerusalem and the Middle East and Europe to, to us is because of faithful men entrusting what God had given them, and they're teaching other men also. That's how it got here. And we call it 
e squared. And uh, e squared, we call it e squared, meaning evangelize and edify. There's two reasons to be in every relationship, says the Bible. You guys are here either being edified today, if you're a Christian. If you are a non-Christian or you, you might think, I'm a Christian, I think I believe in God, and so forth, you're being evangelized. You are hearing truth from God's word. You're going to hear about the problem with mankind today, the problem with men in this culture. And then you're going to hear about the solution to man's problem, which is Jesus Christ and the cross. You're going to get an explanation of that today. So you are either being evangelized or edifying, and that's what we do in every relationship. If we're in it for any other reason, we're wasting our time. We are also... uh, couple other things. Men in constant need of God's grace and mercy. There's not a guy coming up here to, to speak with you today or share with you that would put themselves up and say, I've got it figured out. If anything, uh, you, we're probably more depressing to be around because we think so little of ourselves most of the time. And I think that can depress people sometimes. <laughs> and uh, But that's us. Um, we're a group of laymen, not pastors. Um, and just guys who are trying to study God's word and apply it in our lives and give it away. That's all we are. And uh, as far as speakers, we're not going to do a formal introduction. There's a bio in in your pamphlet um, for you to go through quickly, um, get to know a little bit about who the guys are, um, what we're about. Um, we don't give you bios because um, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on introductions. But here are the four things you need to know. Uh, one, that all of us are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, two, the Bible is our, is our authority and instruction book for life. And it's the ultimate authority. If the Bible tells us one thing that we don't like, we still do it. Or we seek to do it. And we keep men in our lives that force us to do it. Because we trust in God and we trust in his promises. Um, three, is that all have hearts of clay and seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. By knowing him through his word and keeping his commandments. So we come here with clay hearts. Not prideful hearts. Do we have pride? Yes, but we want to come here with hearts of clay that can be shaped and molded through what we learn here today. And four, we're all here speaking to you by the grace of God. You are here by the grace of God plus nothing. Um, Whether you you don't want to be here or you do, uh, you're here by the grace of God. So what I would really quickly like to do, I know we started a little late, um, but we also have quite a bit of time built in. I would love to just maybe start back in that corner and just stand up, just tell us your name, um, if you're married, if you, you know, if you can remember how many years you've been married and how many kids you have, uh, that'll be that'll be great. We'll just go around the room really quick, just to get a quick introduction to put names with faces. Okay, my, my name is uh, Manny Manjares. I am married. Been married for uh, 18 years, and I have two kids, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Santiago Bernal. I've been married for 22 years, and I have two kids, 20, almost 21, and 15. I'm Scott Banger. Um, I'm married for eight years, and I've got two kids, uh, six and four. Uh, Alex Carey, married for five years, and I have a uh, five-week-old girl. Dusty Alexander, I'm married uh, three years, uh, one daughter, and one on the way. My name's Corey Bose. I'm not married, and I don't have any kids. Joey Medina, uh, not married. I'm Matt Bender, married 14 years, two boys, 13 and 14. George Ideas, married 16 years, uh, three kids, two boys, and a girl. 
Tony Pereira, married, 14 years, two kids, uh, 13 and 12, boy and a girl. Chad Schwartz, uh, married nine years, uh, have three daughters, uh, seven, <coughs> four, and one. Dave Collins, I've been married 10 years and I have three kids. I'm Bryce Kokus, and I've been married for 13 years and have four children. My name is Javier Villarreal. I'm married for eight years, uh, three kids, two-year-old, four-year-old, and seven-year-old. Nathaniel Goose, um, 13 years this week, and I've got two boys and a girl, 11, 9, 4. Nate Edwards, married three years, no kids. Uh, Eddie Weber, um, second marriage of four months, and uh, I have a 12-year-old boy. Uh, Shady Morgan, ten and a half years marriage, and two kids born to Evan Robinson, I've been married sixteen years, got three kids. Chuck Stanton, twenty-five years of marriage, I have two kids, twenty and twelve boys. My name's Cole Palmer. I've been married five years, and we have two kids. Morning, Ann. I'm Howard Tracy. I've been married forty-four years, have two kids and three grandkids. Jerry Harris, been married 20 years, appreciate it. Nick Dunlap, I've been married seven years and have an eight-month-old son. I'm Aaron Davidson, I've been married 14 years and have two kids. <coughs> I'm Steve Nichols, I've been married 27 years and we have three boys. I'll go next. I'll go next for a while. Got two kids, uh, two boys. Well, I've been married five years. <laughs> Mark McDowell, I've uh, been married 11 years, three boys. Justin Hughes, been married 16 years, four kids, three girls, one boy. Uh, Richard Chase, uh, a couple of days ago, 20 years of marriage, and three sons, uh, 9, 13, and 16. David Joe, I've uh, been married 13 years, I have two daughters, six and four. Patrick Gang, and I've been married 16 years, uh, two kids, boy and girl. Gene Johnson, uh, we've been married just over 22 years, and we have a daughter. Trev Anderson, been married uh, 13 years, two children, uh, girl nine, and boy six. Bob Riley, I've been married 48 years. We have Four children, two boys, two girls, and 16 grandkids. Very nice. Uh, Rob Riley, going on 20 years of marriage and uh, five beautiful <coughs> children, one of which is here today. Rick Moraine, married 25 years, uh, two adult uh, son and a daughter, and one 17-year-old son. Uh, Grant Riley, not married and no kids. Connor <laughs> <laughs> uh, Riley, I also don't have any kids and I'm not married. <laughs> Colin Riley, been married 18 years, four kids, uh, 12, 14, 16, and 17. Corey Roth, I've been married 14 years, I believe, and I have three children. Brian McKinley, married almost 20 years, and I have a boy and a girl. Jerry Banger, 39 years, uh, three kids, two grandkids. Chris Reynolds, uh, married 13 years, and three kids. Rob Maxfield, uh, married 16 years, and five kids. 
My grandma married 18 years this week, a uh, boy and a girl. And Andy Fetzis, 18 years, five kids. And all I can think about when I go around this room is how many lives are being impacted by the guys sitting in this room and how many lives those kids are going to impact, which really takes us back to the importance of a conference like this. And the last thing I want to say before we start to get into the material is <clears throat> the challenge for you today is a verse in the Bible, it's Acts 17.11, and it, the verse says this, that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. My challenge to you is this, is that you're going to hear things today, and they're going to come from the Bible. And we ask you to search the Bible to find out if what we're telling you is true. Look at life in lieu of what we're telling you today. Figure out if what we're telling you is true. And if it is, do something about it. And if it's not, discard it and move on. Um, but that's the challenge. And uh, so getting started, um, we're going to start talk, we're going to talk about um, purpose to start off with here. And I think the reason I want to talk about purpose, I want to talk about two things to set the tone for this of what, why we exist and what our, what is our calling? What is God's calling on our life? So purpose. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So my question is, if I asked, if I just randomly started calling on guys and asked you to stand up, which I'm not going to do, and asked you, what is your reason for existence and why are you alive? Would you be able to give me a good answer? Um, why is purpose important? Because it gives meaning to life. If we don't have purpose, what's the point of life? Although, what you're going to see in just a minute is a staggering uh, statistic that I personally have found. So over the last five years, and George knows, I interviewed a bunch of his baseball players and college kids. I was on a, on a mission to meet with public school kids, private school kids, men, women, didn't matter. And I asked everyone that I had time with, I asked them, why are you here? And what I did is I recorded, and it's probably well over 100 people. I, didn't, I don't have an exact count, but it's probably well over 100 people. And here is what my findings were. Purpose is defined by men. If you listen to tonight's <laughs> show, the top 10. And number one is at the top. The, the, the biggest reason that people, that what their purpose was, was to be a good person. For people to remember me as such, to remember to be remembered as a good person. The number two is to do good things in life, to enjoy life. Number three, I'm not kidding you. This was the answer. I have no idea. Now tell me how I can be a father of five kids, be married for so many years, go to work every single day, and be able to answer the question, "What is my purpose?" and say, "I have no idea." Guys, that's Really? I mean, that's not even. That's not even. There, there's not even a. There's not even a wrong purpose there. It's like I don't even know why I'm here. And that's number three. Number four, to work hard for my family. Number five, to get married and have a family. Number six, to have fun in life with my wife, my kids, doing things and so on. Seven, to give my kids the things I never had. Eight, to enjoy life, to retire and of course golf. 
Uh, and 9 and 10, I call these shallow howls because some people did say this. They said to glorify God and to live for Jesus. And when I said, okay, well, what does it mean to glorify God? We went back to number three. I have no idea. What does it mean to live for Jesus? I have no idea. So there you have it. And that's why I don't want to go around the room and call on names because when somebody asked me that question several years ago, sitting here in this room, I answered with a couple of these different answers and realized on that day that I had no idea why I was lit, why, why I was on the earth. I was walking around for the wrong reasons. So <clears throat> now let's talk about purpose as, it def- as it's defined by the Bible, by God. So purpose for the Christian. And by the way, if anybody wants this slideshow with the notes, because there's extensive notes that I'm not putting on here, I'm happy to email it to you if you want to just listen. If, if you like to take notes, it's up to you. But just let me know, and I'll send it to you at the end of the day. Um, for the Christian, purpose is what God wants his life to add up to and why. So let's talk about number one. As defined by God, our purpose is number one is to do God's will. Jesus says in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus lived to do the will of God, which eventually sent him to the cross to be slaughtered for the likes of us. I think of, we can say, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm just an ordinary guy. Well, how about, let's use Paul as an example then. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, if anybody knows this story, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. When God met him on the way, when Jesus met him on the way, blinded him with light, and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul's response to him is exactly what our purpose is. And Paul said to him, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? That is the will of God for us, is to find out who God is and do what he wants us to do. The second one, is to glorify him. Jesus says in John 17, 4, glorify, by the way, means to praise, to extol, to magnify, to just exalt to the very highest place. That's our purpose. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So we do his will, we find out what he wants, and we do it, and then we glorify him in all that we do. We do everything to extol him and exalt him. And number three, to make him known, to know him and make him known to others. So what is our purpose? John 17, 3. Jesus says to his father, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Guys, Jesus equates life, eternal life, to just knowing God. So basically, guys, what he's saying is if you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're living, you don't have life. You're dead. You just you don't even know what it, you don't even know what life is. It's found only in him and knowing him. So it's to know him, and then what? Matthew 28, 18, Matthew 28, 19 to 20 is known as the Great Commission. It says this Go therefore, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says what? Know me, and then go out and give away what I've told you. Disciple other people, evangelize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
And by the way, I'm going to be with you through the whole process. So, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier, E squared, right? We're going to edify people, we're going to encourage them in the faith, or we're going to evangelize them. And give them the light of Jesus Christ so they have an opportunity to make a decision in life. Um, so in doing these three things, doing God's will, glorifying him and knowing him and making him known, we become priests. This is a doctrine in the Bible that is not talked about too much, I don't think, anymore. This has been relegated mostly to church boards, pastors, priests, uh, elders. But guys, the priesthood of the believer is a doctrine that every Christian person, man, woman, and professing child should be and function as a priest. Well, what is the role of a priest? Okay, what does... If, you're, if you grew up in an Orthodox or Catholic faith like me, what, what did my priest do? He went to God for the people, and he came before the people for God. And it's the same thing your pastor does. He intercedes, and then he intercedes with God and then talks to you about God. He's a priest. Okay. Well, the Bible says that every single one of us that professes Christ to be a Christian should be a priest. And... 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Revelation 1.6 He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So why is this important? Why, is, why am I even bringing this up at the beginning? Because guys, this, whether you like it or not, is your role. This is God's will. That this is how we interact as believers in the world and most importantly as believers in our homes. So because most men abdicate this and have passed it on to their priests and their pastors and their youth ministers and so on and so forth, what we have is pastors who are completely exhausted and worn out trying to shepherd flocks of thousands of people who aren't doing anything. And guys, it's not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to come alongside our pastors, our church elders, our priests, doesn't matter what congregation you belong to. But here's the problem. I have people say, well, how could you be doing this retreat, this conference, without pastoral leadership? Well, I look at Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, and I, I read that God, gave, that, that God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Why did he give all these different gifts? Why does he have many, many different people, all in different roles in the body of Christ? For the reason... In verse 12 and 13, for perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Guys, we all are equally important, and we all have a responsibility to be priests of Jesus Christ, to represent him in our homes, to represent him in our churches, on a football field, in your business, in your marketplace, wherever you are, you are a priest, whether you like it or not. And if you didn't know that, great. Start acting on it. Start studying that material. Finding out what God wants and doing it. Um, so it's our job. It's our job to do it. And we have a brain. We have a Bible and the ability to think. And so therefore... We have the ability to get it done. 
And at Bible, the Bible now, does anybody have any question on this at this moment before I move on? So the Bible not only calls us priests, but he also calls us, it also calls us ambassadors. Well, actually, let me stay here. I, I jumped something here. So let's just talk about real quickly the priesthood of the believer in our home. Um, we are ambassadors and we are priests. The role of an ambassador is what? Is a respected official acting as a representative of a nation whose role is to reflect the official position of a sovereign body that gave him authority. Okay, That's the Webster Dictionary definition. What does that mean? It means that we are official representatives of the kingdom of God. We are official representatives of Jesus Christ as Christians, wherever we go. And in a book called What He Must Be by Vody Balcom, I look, I just can't put this any better. He labels four Ps about what a man must be if he's going to, what a man has to be to be able to marry one of his daughters, what a biblical man should look like. And he, he calls it four things. The four Ps is each man must be a priest, a prophet, a provider, and a protector. A priest is, again, as we talked about, one who regularly intercedes before God on behalf of his family. A prophet is one who's learned, able, and actively teaching his family in the word of God through word and deed. A provider is one who works hard and does whatever is necessary to provide for the needs of his family, both physically and, most importantly, spiritually. And a protector is a man that at any cost will protect his family from any and all danger that seeks to harm them, physically and spiritually. Okay, the four Ps. Guys, these are essentials to leading our family. And I think Bryce is going to hit a lot more in-depth on a lot of what these things look like in his own way later on in his, in his time. But we are ambassadors. We represent him, guys. How are we doing in that arena? So, what does God want me to do? Okay, find out what he wants and do it, right? That's, that's the will of God for us. To do as well. What does he ask us to do? Well, number one, I'm going to go through these a little more quickly because this is mostly overview for you guys. Um, you will have opportunities to get small groups or guys can meet to, to go deeper on all this stuff, but I just want to throw a lot of meat at you to start out. One is known through his word and prayer. Again, John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. If we're not seeking God, we're walking a dead life. We're living a dead life. We don't think so, but we are. And eventually it'll come back and it'll bite us in the butt. Number two is to love him with all of our hearts. That is what God wants us to do. What does he say? Mark 12, 28 to 31. It says, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that Jesus had answered them well. He asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So people say, okay, I love God. I love God. Jesus died for me. I love him. Well, here's the problem. God defines what love looks like, not us. Okay, our, defi- our Man's definition of love is so skewed in so many different directions that it's so relative that it looks different for everybody. So what is God's definition of love? God's definition of love is sacrificial love. It has nothing to do with the, the emotion of your life. It doesn't, you're not attracted. You're not in love with her because she's attractive. You're not in love because... Um, it's just an emotional love. Do you have emotions? Yes. But biblical love is sacrificial love. 
And so how can we sacrificially love God? Well, this is just a few of the verses, guys. If you go through the whole Bible, you'll find you'll find verse after verse after verse talking about obedience. How do we show God we love him? By keeping his word. That is the litmus test. We can say we love God all we want. The question is, is do we do what he says? So I'm going to read a couple of verses quickly and uh, come up for air. John 14, 50. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says... I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Christ-likeness, obedience. And finally, John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son, which is where we're going to go with Nathaniel later today, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That is not a fun passage. But what I'm going to show you right now, barring any questions or comments, is exactly how the wrath of God is playing out in our culture filled with ignorant, disobedient people. And it's not pleasant. So, any questions or comments to this point? Okay. Before we get to the next slide, I want to just talk about, and this is a quick challenge to men, because we're here today to learn how to do God's will and to be leaders in our home. So let's look at a few general commands for the family. And again, I, I can send you the, the verses, but here they are if you want to just jot them down. Our uh, attitude towards God, commandments towards God. Again, you shall love Deuteronomy six five through nine. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How many guys here are living that out? Okay? And again, remember, this is just my own assessment of myself. I'm just sharing it with you guys. Okay? <laughs> These are the things that I struggled with where I felt like I wanted to share it with other men. Towards wives. Ephesians 5, 24 through 27. But as the church is subject to Christ, so, so wives also ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, which means make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she would be holy and blameless. Guys, three questions. Are you laying your life down for your wife? 
Is she number one? Apart from Christ in your life, is she number one? Or is work, play, and all those other things in life more important? Number two, what are you doing to sanctify her? What are you doing to present her blameless before the Lord? Presenting her holy, spotless, blameless. Helping her establish her purpose in preparation for eternity. Are you? Have you even heard of this before in a marriage? Is the question. Colossians 3.19 Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. How many of us get embittered with our wives every day? How about this one? This is the one that hurts. I think I can make excuses for the first two, but this one I can't. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Treat her as a weaker vessel. I am so guilty of not doing that. Okay? Is this even on our radar? Towards children. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. but Bring them up in the love and instruction and discipline of the Lord. Okay? How are you doing, guys, about not provoking your kids to be angry? Are your kids angry? Do you even know if they're angry? Have you, how, do you, how do you find out? And are you teaching them the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Are you teaching them the Bible? Again, I'm just glad I could share all my shortcomings with all of you guys today. Because these are heavy hitters. Is there a correlation between men failing their role and the destruction of the family, of marriages? Destruction of children today. Do you think that our failure as men has anything to do with the following statistics? Now, I stole this book from Jerry from 2008, but I put a little twist on it. I have a friend, John, who, who deals with kids in Indiana all around the world that have disorders. Um, and so I spent a little time with him on 2013. And this book, Why Johnny Can't Tell Right from Wrong, um, this basically, uh, the best I know, the guy's an unbeliever. I, I went through a lot of the book, not the entire book. Um, but he's got some things right in this book that the public schools are just absolutely tweaking our kids' minds. And he, what he goes on to chronicle here is, whoops, excuse me, is to show this are the problems from, this is from teachers, problems in the classroom and or problems that are affecting the educational system. This was pulled by teachers in the 1940s. And these are in order of greatest to least. Whoops. 1940, the greatest problem was talking out of turn. Now it's drug abuse. And now you could put any of these in, in the number one spot. John and I couldn't figure it out because they're all catastro- you know, they're catastrophic right now. But let's talk sex addiction in 2013. 1940, number two, chewing gum. 1990, alcohol abuse. 2013, gaming, social media, addictions. 1940s, making noise. 1990s, pregnancy. 2013, depression, drug abuse, painkiller abuse. All of these things, guys. Alcohol abuse. Four, running in the halls. 1940. 1990 is suicide. 2013, suicide, suicidal tendencies. That hasn't changed. It's just increasing. 
1940, number five, getting out of line. 1990s rape. How about this one, guys? This is a problem with a lot. Whoops. This is a problem with a lot of kids. I know because I talked to them. Sexting. Sending pic- naked pictures of themselves to people. And not only that now, now there's new things that aren't just pictures. Now there's little video clips you can send, little mini video clips. I call them porn star youth. They send pictures of themselves to their friends doing fornication. It's We buy it for them. We buy it for them for Christmas and we wrap it up and we don't monitor it. Number six, 1940s. Wearing improper clothing. Isn't that funny? Look, whoops. What happened, Jerry? Oh, there it goes. Um, wearing improper clothing. <laughs> now we're sexting. <laughs> it's just unbelievable to me. Sending pictures of youth. Um, robbery, and now we have bullying and death threats constantly. Uh, 1940s, number seven, not putting paper in the trash. 1990s, assault. Now we have people gunning down people in schools. So my question I go back to is, is there a correlation between men failing in their roles and the destruction of our society and the destruction of the family? And if our answer is no, then this probably isn't the conference for you because if you don't understand what we've just talked about, this is evidence against us. As a football coach, statistics tell the truth most of the time, <laughs> and these are statistics that tell the truth. Okay, so we're going to hit through a couple other real quick ones. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, Christian divorce. Um, I guess what I want everyone to see is that the ultimate point here is that you have evangelicals, non-evangelicals. You have non, uh, notional Christians associated with non-Christian faith, atheist, agnostic. And basically what they've done, they should have really categorized these in, in a couple of separate lines. They kind of bunched some stuff together. But the point is, on this slide, is that in the middle here, the difference between a professing Christian, a Christian family, and a non-Christian family in the, in the area of divorce is the same exact percentage, basically. It's the same percentage. You know, the, the Christians who are supposed to be commit the covenant before God, it's one wife, it's forever, it's a covenant, it's the same. Same statistic. And lastly, no point in belaboring that, Let's look at Christian youth. Look at our kids. Okay, now take it who you want. Go to Catholic schools. Go to Christian. Schools. It doesn't matter. These are these aren't public school kids who don't have a a faith upbringing, guys. These are these are kids in the faith whose parents put them in schools to instruct them in the faith. Okay, abandonment and rejection of Christ from church to teenagers. Eighty-eight percent. Now these are percentages from different studies. I just added many just so that we didn't just have one study. Eighty-eight percent of teens fall away from the faith the second they go to campus, as per the Southern Baptist Convention. Lifeway research. Not quite sure who those people are. I didn't spend a lot of time going in. Seventy percent fall away from the faith the second they go to school and college. They abandon their faith in Christ. They walk away from it. LifeWay also found only 35% eventually return. Assembly of God study, 30, 66% fall away. Barna in 2006, 61%. Okay? How about this one over here? Illiteracy of the Bible. Church teens. In particular, how about this? 84% of 18 to 29-year-olds admit that they have no idea how the Bible applies to their field or professional interests. They don't even have a clue. Guys, this all goes back to the first question. 
Why are we here? Purpose. And if we don't understand that, if we're not teaching our kids this stuff, this, guys, we should have... We might as well just get our helmet on and get ready for this because there's no reason to expect this isn't going to be us and our kids. I don't care about how many youth groups we do, how many men's groups we're in. If we're not getting it done in our homes, that's not going to save us. The statistics show us it's not going to save us. Okay. Getting to the end here. So, this wasn't part of the plan, but I have to share this. I just thought this was pretty cool, and we need a, we need a, a breath of fresh air. So my wife, getting this conference together, it's been crazy. Every you know, As I get into the last week, I go, okay, I've got my work schedule set up, so I can have lots of time just to make sure things are wrapped up and in place. Well, of course, this week was hellacious. It was crazy. I, got, I had no free time at all. As early as I got up, kids are up, soiling their diapers, crying, and I had no time. And so it's, I've spent some very long evenings. And so yesterday, my wife, you know, I think she sensed that. And she goes, babe, how about we just go get dinner date night? And she goes, and let's just go see a movie. Let's just like take your mind completely off the conference, and we'll come back home, and, and then you just you know, wrap it up. And I'm like, I didn't want to. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I'm like, so we're in the car. I'm like, well, what are we seeing? And she's like, well, I think I'm going to try World War Z. And I don't know if any of you guys know what this movie is about, but I had no clue. And I'm like, well, don't tell me what it's about because I don't like the, the preview. But I'm going to ruin, ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. Because uh, I think it's important. I think there's a reason why I saw that movie last night. And uh, so my wife hates those kind of movies. She hates anything to do with a lot of violence and blood and demons and ghouls and so forth. And so we don't watch any of that stuff. Um, and, you know, because she doesn't, I don't really stop and watch movies myself. But I'm in there getting tickets, and she's in at the sushi joint there. And I walk out, and I see a friend from uh, Gocher. He comes out, he goes, oh, he goes, I'm buying tickets too. He goes, what do you see? I'm like, well, I think I'm seeing World War X. He goes, oh, World War Z. He goes, zombie movie, huh? He goes, and you're going with your wife? I'm like, I'm like, well, actually, she's the one that invited me to, to see this movie. And so uh, and so I go uh, I go in and I tell Joanne, I'm like, you know, this is a zombie movie, right? And she goes, she goes, yeah. She goes, but she goes, it looks like it's going to be pretty good. I don't think it's going to be too bad. So anyway, we go into this movie. And I have to tell you guys, I mean, it's a zombie movie, okay? If you saw Night of the Living Dead when you were a teenager, it's, I mean, it's, it's a big step up from that, but it's a Night of the Living Dead, basically. But it's a re- I really enjoyed the movie. Um, but here's what I took away from it. I, I was up till 2.30 last night because I couldn't stop thinking about how that movie is our culture. It's us, guys. You have a movie with a few people running for their lives, uh, trying to figure out how to destroy these zombies. And these zombies are dead in the movie. Is that correct? They're, they're dead. They don't have a heartbeat. And they just go dormant. And all they do is they they bite somebody and infect them, and then they go dormant again. That's it. It's just like, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, is that, if, that, is, if that isn't exactly what we're talking about here, the world is in, it, it, it doesn't come and eat us up and spit us out and we're done. It, it, you know, it bites us. It infects us, and then for the rest of our lives, all we do is bite people and infect them with the same stuff. And I think about the Christian life, and I go, I feel, I felt like the people in that movie last night, running, trying to find a cure, trying to escape from these things, and you're going, well, what do we do? We don't even know where to start. They couldn't even figure out where to begin. Guys, that is our life. I mean, we have so many problems in our lives, we don't even know where they came from. And I'm so excited to get off of this podium and let Jerry talk to you guys about how our minds have been influenced over the years, how we're in the midst of stuff, and this stuff is normal. 
Today, all this trap, tra- I mean, this stuff that goes on, people putting their babies in dumpsters and flushing them in toilets. I mean, I can be honestly, sadly tell you, I read some of this stuff and I don't even think twice about it anymore. That's how desensitized we've become to sin and, and depravity. And so this movie last night just kept me up because I go, that is, our, we are living amongst walking dead people. People thinking life is great, all is merry, and they're walking around and they're spiritually dead. They're destroying themselves. They're destroying their families through divorces, through uh, lack of leadership, through not spending time with their kids, pawning their kids and their families off, themselves off, into all these other arenas, looking for the quick fix. Guys, we, as a culture, when you see that movie, remember what we talked about here and just see if you get the same parallel. Because for me, I, I just... I could just weep right now. Um, so yeah, I liked the movie, but uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, it really hit home the night before this conference. So I haven't got to talk to my wife too much about that because I didn't see her this morning. But anyway, uh, I wanted to share that. Um, okay, any questions or comments? And then we're going to uh, we're going to go through my findings, and then we're going to wrap this up. We've got ten more minutes, maybe fifteen. Okay, so what slide is this? Okay, 13, I think. Okay, so not only are men lacking and deficient in these areas, these are my findings, that men lack purpose. (laughs) We already talked about purpose. Men lack understanding. We don't even understand what we're, what, what's attacking us, what our times are around us. Men lack knowledge, lack responsibility, and they lack accountability. That's my findings as I look at these statistics and I look at the world I live in, and most importantly as I look in my own mirror. That's what I see. I see these wonderful qualities about myself. And not only are we lacking deficient in these areas, but most are downright failing in these arenas, if we're honest with ourselves. And don't even, some don't even have their antennas up. They don't even know what we're talking about here if we start talking about these things in life. Um, again, we talked earlier about them having pawned men, pawning off their wife to uh, their pastors, their wives to women's groups, their children to youth ministers, youth camps, and worship, great worship services with great music and worshiping and so on and so forth. The point, The problem is, is not that we go to a pastor, we have different groups within our churches, that's great, but that should be an extension, an extension of what we're supposed to be doing. We should be the head of that. And then our pastors and our local church bodies and our women's groups and our youth camps should be an extension of us, not, not taking our place. And that's what we've done. It's taken our place, and it's not their job to fix our families. It's our job. It's our responsibility. And the results we just looked at before. Uh so, let's talk about four more slides. Lack of understanding. Okay? The world says that just go with the flow. Right? Don't you guys hear that, really? Like, in, even as, if, whether you're a Christian or not, don't you just hear, that's just wrong. We just go with the flow, ride the tide. Just ride the tide. It's, it's, you can't stop the culture. Just ride the tide. Go with the flow. Um, look at First Chronicles twelve thirty two. 
Here's some wisdom, guys. Here, here's some wisdom for us to take home. And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Guys, we need to be men of Issachar. We need to be men who sit down, understand the times, and what it is that we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to live in these times, period. That's our job. And we, if we're not teaching our wives and kids, the world's teaching our wives and kids. We've got to know. Okay? We need to wake up, understand the times, discern who and what is the enemy, and know what to do. We need to have a battle plan. Okay? Lack of knowledge. The world says, what you don't know can't hurt you. Ignorance is bliss. How many of us like to just stand before God on judgment day and go, God, I didn't know. I mean, come on. I believed you. I went to church. I took communion and, you know, I put my kids in all these camps. I, I didn't know. I was ignorant. Guys, Ignorance is not bliss, and what you don't know will kill you. What you don't know will kill you. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now, do you see any correlation to what God just said and to our lacking knowledge? Any correlation between our pawning off our lives and our kids and not taking this important and what's happening to our society, to our families? Guys, it's, it's prophecy fulfilled. It's, it's the wrath of God being played out upon us. So my question is, is that true? Is this true? Is this true? We looked at statistics. We know we all have Bibles, and if we don't, we can have one on our phone in about three and a half seconds. Right now, you could go out and put it on there, and you'd have knowledge in your hand of God. Uh, but God, speaking through the prophet Hosea, what does what he tells us plainly, that we have rejected knowledge of him, and in so rejecting him, he's going to reject us and he's going to forget our children. And guys, what we just looked at statistically is just the beginning of birth pangs of what's coming. That's the labor pains before the delivery. This is going to get out of hand real, real quick. And we're not going to save the world. It just ain't going to happen. But we do have families and we do have one another. And of course, the ultimate Jesus Christ to cling to. So yes, there's going to be heavy accountability and responsibility tied to our leadership. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each man, each one, may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let me remind you guys that God determines what is good and what is evil, not you. And you can say, I don't care what God says, that's fine. But what you're going to be judged by on the day of judgment, Christian or non-Christian, is you're going to be judged by the word of God, period. The commandments of God. And so if you say, I didn't know, you'll be destroyed. And your life will be destroyed on this earth if you don't start seeking him. And if you do, uh, if you, uh, excuse me, just lost my train of thought. Uh, just lost my train of thought. Oh, well. 
But we, we will be held accountable, good or evil. Christian or non-Christian, we will be held to a high regard. And I this verse terrifies me, but you know what? This sets the tone for the rest of the day, and it really sets the tone for Nathaniel to get up here and share the good news for us, because um, this is hard, but guys, this is true. Matthew 18.6 says, Whoever, this is Jesus' words, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, I don't know how many times you hear that on a Sunday uh, sermon, but that is the word of Christ, that is the word of God, and he says, if you cause these little ones to stumble, the people I have entrusted to you, your wife and your children, to stumble, you are better off with a millstone hung around your neck and to be plunged into the depth of the sea. It's not my words, that's God's words. And they're terrifying words. And fear is a good thing because it should motivate us to do something about it. These passages don't drive us to our knees before God and repentance. Something's wrong. We don't know. We don't know. Our ears are closed. Our eyes are dim. We're not hearing and understanding what's going on here. Um, this is sobering. And there's hell to pay for a lackluster performance, guys. There just is. Okay. Last two slides. Let's talk about responsibility now. Here's what I want to premise this way. Responsibility. I know there's probably guys who are going, okay, but what about the grace of God? What about the grace of God in all this? Yes. Everybody everybody wants to talk about the grace of God. What I'm talking about right now to start this conversation was the responsibility of man. Okay? We're going to talk about the grace of God uh, in a few messages from now and how he fits into this equation. Um, but what I want to just, I've done is a, a chart for you. I hope it's helpful. Um, but let's talk about a few points. We looked at the statistics, and I think... At least for myself, I can say I, I have um, abdicated my responsibility in some shape, way, or form as a leader in my home, as a follower of Christ, as a man of God. I've, I've not done what I ought to have done, and I see the results of it in my own home. Number two is that too many men use God's grace as an excuse to be an absentee husband and father. Okay, They abuse the grace of God, so they go, you know what? We're all saved by faith. It's not of works, so... I'm going to just send my kids off to do this stuff and let them deal with them. God will save my kid if he wants them. Okay? Truth. There is truth there. Yeah, if God wants your child, he's going to be saved no matter what you do. Whether you do nothing or whether you do everything. But the point is, is God still gives us responsibility. And I think our Christian culture today swims in the grace pool and says, you can do anything you want, just leave it up to God. And we just, we say, okay, we're going to give it all to you, but we don't even know what our own responsibilities are. So, we have to be very careful in grace and responsibility and works because both of them guys are at play here. Um, and so in saying that, we must also be careful to remember that our best efforts do not guarantee our wives and kids will be saved. Our best works may not guarantee our salvation, guys. So our we could do everything God tells us by the book. And it, 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 it there is no guarantee that... that one of us is going to be saved, or our kids. It's just no guarantee. And so let me close with this last slide. And it's it's busy. I'm sorry, but if you just bear with me, we're going to get through this thing, and then we're going to we're going to quit. Uh, gosh, and I'll be on time for the first time in my life. That's unbelievable. Um, grace of God versus the responsibility of man. Can you guys see that over there? So I call this one side over here the man who is just drunk on grace. 
And on the other side, you have responsibility of man. I call this guy drunk on works. Okay, the guy who's drunk on grace says, uh, "I, God is in control of everything, and therefore we're saved by grace, not of works. So therefore, I just going to leave it up to him." Here's what happens to this guy: he becomes complacent in his life, he abdicates his responsibility, and he becomes presumptuous with God. Now, I'm not going to go into the, the, the biblical destruction that takes place in the Bible to different men when these things happen, but if you look these kind of terms up in the Bible and start looking for uh, scenarios, you're going to see uh, guys in these arenas, it doesn't end well for them. It just doesn't go well with them. Complacency, and Proverbs says the complacency of fools will kill them. Uh, obviously, we can't abdicate, and being presumptuous upon God, declaring something for God, is just something man is not supposed to be doing. Um, so that's the problem we get stuck on this side. Then you get the guy over here who goes, I'm not doing it, man. i, I, I got to get it all done. If I'm not doing this, my, my family's falling apart because of me. I'm doing everything I can. And so you get, you get the guy over here who's swimming in works. He's trying everything he can do. He has no understanding of the grace of God. And he feels guilt. He takes all the blame on himself. He feels despair. He feels hopelessness. He looks at him and goes, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. And guys, that's not healthy either. Okay, this morning is not about putting us in this position here to get us hopeless and despairing and feeling guilty about ourselves. What it is, what we talked about this morning, is supposed to get us to this point right here. See the guy in the middle on his knees before the cross? It's supposed to help us get out of this joint over here and get us moving this direction so that we find a balance. This is the tension, guys, between the grace of God in our lives and the responsibility he gives us. Okay? What does the Bible say about grace? It says we are saved by grace through faith alone. It is a free gift from God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm going to use myself as an example here. I was raised in a non-Christian home. Uh, church was a joke. I, I got sent in my great-grandma's car in a blue Buick to a Greek Orthodox church, of which I didn't speak, where I sat for four hours, sitting on my hands because I wasn't allowed to play with my action figures in church for four hours. And my dad thought it was funny when I had to go get picked up by grandma and sent to church. So, some way, somehow, not, I wasn't looking for God. There was a day when I came to one of these conferences and God took over my life. It was game over for me. It was it. I didn't, it was nothing I did. He initiated the relationship. And once he did, I realized I have responsibility. I need to know him. I need to obey him. I need to lay my life down for him like he did for me, and I need to lay my life down for my family. I have, amongst many other responsibilities in the Bible, but we're just focusing on these today. So God initiates the relationship. Once he initiates the relationship, once if there's hearts here being stirred and you're not a Christian, and your heart's going, I need Christ, oh my gosh. And then God gives you the commandments, and you start obeying them. You start doing what he asks you to do. And then your life starts to change, and your your family, it just, it, God moves. He works. And so, that's the grace of God. So I was saved by the grace of God. I was not born in a, in, a, in a pastoral home. But then you get, on the other side, how many guys know, you know, a pastor who's lost a kid? You, you know, a pastor, you go, gosh, this guy loves the Lord. He loves people. He's done everything. I mean, guys, I, I mimic this guy. I want to do the devotions he does and spend the time with my kids one-on-one. And, and the kid just walks away from the faith. He's a complete rebel. You know, guys, we have those examples in our lives because we have to understand both of these, guys. 
We could do everything right and still not get the results we want. God determines the results. So that's what I want everyone to understand before we move on today. Okay? Is that don't beat yourself down if you're struggling like I've been beating myself down. Don't beat yourself down, but say, okay, find out what God wants me to do and do it. Who are you? What do you want me to do now? What do I need to do? And find guys around you and start doing it. Um, and guys, my last point is this. We must live in the tension of God's grace and our responsibility. This keeps us broken and dependent upon God. That is the safest place to be for the Christian, if you know your Bible, is to be broken and dependent before God, relying only upon Him. When we stumble, we have Jesus Christ who paid our sins. He covers our sins. He paid for our sins. There's no condemnation for our sin. When we seek to do this, and He gives us this over here to help us, His grace to help us in our time of need. So, any questions or comments before we take a five-minute break and then come on back and find out, okay, well, how do we get to this cesspool of a mess with all these statistics? That's what we're going to go through next. Any questions or comments? Okay, that's it for me, guys. Thank you.